What's going on, everybody? DJ here, and we're back at it again with another episode of the Weekly Leadership Podcast, where every single week we talk about leadership, mindset, and growth, and we talk about how you can become the leader you were born to be. This week, I am very, very excited because we have a very special guest in the building with us today. He is the founder of, to me, the leading authority, if not one of the leading authorities on personal development books, reviews, you name it, they got it. And uh, there's a lot that resonates here with me and this individual. So I'm really excited that he decided to come on the show with us today. Ladies and gentlemen, the founder of Book Thinkers, Nick Hutchison. What's going on, Nick? How are you? DJ, I'm excited to be on the Weekly Leadership Podcast, and I'm excited for our conversation. I've been following you back for a little while now, so I know you always bring the heat. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm excited just to chat and, and learn a little bit more about you and, and help whoever we can today. Definitely, man. Well, listen, thank you again for being on the show. I'm, uh, I'm really excited with everything that you've been doing and you've had some, uh, some awesome interviews, you know, the books are just nonstop. And I, every time I look at the stacks, I'm like, Oh, I got that one. I got that one. So I'm always looking to see what, what my next book is. So if we can kind of go back a little bit, you know, where did, where did this start? You know, where did the idea for book thinkers come together? You know, what got you into books in the first place? Yeah. So familiar with the Northeast. I went to the University of New Hampshire and I was pretty disconnected from the classroom. I wasn't a great student, um, but I did, I did know, I did have a good motor on me. So I was always working. I was always hustling, trying to figure things out. And so, although I wasn't a big fan of books at the time, I, I was really working hard and I took an internship with a sales company based in New Hampshire and one of my early sales mentors at that company, while I was still in college, said, look, man, if you're not connected to the classroom, if it moves too slow, if you don't feel like it's a good representation of reality, these business classes you're taking aren't resonating with you, try personal development books. And as part of that internship, I started to go on a couple business trips with him and we'd spend a lot of time together. And he introduced me to podcasts and I started to learn all about human optimization and the science of success. And so, yeah, I gave it a shot. I mean, I, at this internship, funny enough, I didn't really have that much work to do. So right. I could grind through everything in a couple hours and then I would sit around and there was a Barnes and Noble not too far from the offices. So I went over one day, I got a couple of the books he recommended and I would sit and I would get paid technically to read these books and it changed my life. So the first couple of books were Rich Dad, Poor Dad, The Richest Man in Babylon, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Think and Grow Rich. The total money makeover. And I just got totally consumed by how I could condense decades of information into days of learning and application. It was fast. It met my appetite for learning. And, and yeah, now I haven't looked back six or seven years, six years probably that That's I've been crazy. reading. That's crazy. You know, it's so funny too, because when I first started, so I actually, I had a mentor who I met through an internship as well when I was in school in Rhode Island. And I'll never forget just watching him and what he was doing, how he was leading teams, building the community, you know, and I mean, the business aspect of it was great. Like, I love that, but it just his relationships is what mm -hmm. really impacted me. And so I, I was, you know, very much like yourself, went to a Barnes and Noble. This wasn't until like 2014. And uh, I always heard about Think and Grow Rich. I'm like, all right, one, one of these days I'm going to get this book. And then sure enough, I walk in, it was there for like eight bucks, bought <laughs> it, never look back. Here we are. You know, I have a small collection of, you know, 400, almost 500 books now. But it's pretty crazy when we look at those moments, how much they impact us at such an early point when it feels like everybody else around you, especially at that age, everybody else around you is you know, kind of doing their thing, right, going out or whatever the case may be. Did you find like any difficulties in that? Or was there a moment where it just hit you? And you're like, no, this is what I want to do. Uh, I didn't think about monetizing it initially. I didn't think about creating a business or a brand around it. But mm -hmm. what I did was I started to post on my personal social media at the time. I was still a student at the University of New Hampshire going into my senior year. That's like the party year, the fun year. Yeah, and I, exactly. All of my friends were going out and having a good time making the most of their senior year at college. And I was still doing a lot of that, but I was doing a lot less of it. I actually gave up Thursday nights, the second half of my senior year, and I stayed in. And I loved that idea that while my friends were losing brain cells at the bar, <laughs> I was growing and learning and I love that quote on the back of the total money makeover that says something along the lines of 
do what others won't today so that you can do what others can't or, or, or aren't able to tomorrow. Right. And that motivated me in a big way. So yeah, I slowly started to transition out of it. And I posted a lot of my personal socials, like here are the books I'm reading, here are my biggest takeaways from them. And other people, like from a third party perspective, they saw an immediate shift in me. I went from too much ego, too much cocky confidence, mm. and all on one end of the spectrum, and then some pretty blatant insecurities on the other. So two really bad places to be operating from right. to a place of like almost impact focus and fulfillment and stability and gratitude. And so other people had a lot of very similar questions. What's the first book that you read? Why'd you get started on this journey? And so because I received so many repetitive questions, I got together with one of my friends and we put together this website that highlighted our biggest takeaways from the books we were reading. And yeah, it, um, so it was a slow transition. And right. recently I interviewed the author, Trent Shelton. He's also a motivational speaker, former NFL player. And he talks about burning bridges, not just with people, but with bad activities. And mm. so we had a good conversation because he starts to get this NFL money. His friends are all partying like crazy. He transitions out of that life and he has to burn bridges with going out and the people that are toxic. Like if you go down a bridge every Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, and you come back the next morning and you're worse off, get rid of the bridge, stop walking down it every night. And right. yeah, so I certainly went through that as well. Yeah. And that's, that could be difficult for a lot of people, right? Because, you know, especially in a, at that age and, and really at any chapter of your life, you always have people around you that are kind of doing the same thing, right? So, you know, I could, and again, kind of like yourself, you know, I remember 2021, you know, senior year of college, everybody's going out, everybody's going crazy. You know, I was doing the whole Greek life thing. I was doing all this stuff and there was a part of me and you probably experienced this too, where it didn't really feel like it connected with me. Like I was there because it was part of the moment, it was part of the experience, but there, it just didn't feel like, okay, this is who I am. This is really where I wanna go. And, and, and that's where I think books played a big part. Cause I was never, I don't know about yourself. I was never a big reader. Like I hated books. I hated me books. Me too. Yeah. yeah, I was the same. I remember we, my first, I don't wanna say my first, but I don't know if you remember back in the day, we used to get these assignments for, uh, for grammar school, like summer reading assignments. Yeah, Cliff Notes, Spark Notes. Yeah, <laughs> I feel you, man. <laughs> the whole thing. So I remember getting this, uh, these books. And I'm like, I mean, look, no disrespect to like, you know, Mary Shelley, like Frankenstein and all these classics, but I don't really care about that. Like, it just didn't make sense. The difference with personal development is that it's almost like a blueprint. Like, it's almost like laying out the path for you in a way that kind of gives you that momentum to kind of figure it out. So, yeah. It's a really special thing. Um, one of the things I definitely want to go into, you know, with book thinkers, you know, what was it that started to gain traction with the brand? And, you know, how did you go about it? Was it just figuring out step by step? And uh, what was that point where you realized like, okay, wow, this can actually be something? So thinking grow rich is similar, you know, cut from the same cloth here. I was yep. reading thinking grow rich my senior year at the new, the university of New Hampshire and I was reading a lot with one of my friends at the time. His name was Alec. And what we would do, we read this about this concept in Think and Grow Rich about the mastermind group, that one plus one can really equal three. Like this third mind is created when two people are in the same room focused in the same direction. And so what we would do, well, I guess sort of at the same time, we also read that entrepreneurship is really grounded in solving problems. If you could solve a problem a lot of people face, you can create a business out of it. So what we were doing on a week-to-week -week basis is we would just journal about the difficulties we were having or the problems we were facing, and we would meet up, let's just call it on Wednesdays, in this common area in the building I lived, and we would journal on whiteboards and map things out and do mind maps, and it was like the raw creative thing that you kind of envisioned, like it was really happening for us. And we realized, like I said, that so many people were asking repetitive questions. It was right. kind of bothering us. We created this website. Then we met up with another one of our friends who was into the same stuff. And as you know, at that period in your life, there aren't a lot of people that are focused on these books. Exactly. And so it's rare when you find people that are, and you, you instantly have like another form of connection with them. You both are drinking the same Kool-Aid and seeing the world the same way. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, exactly. And so the three of us decided, let's create a business out of this thing. And so we you know, eventually the name Book Thinkers, we formed an LLC. We didn't really know how we were going to monetize it, but we had this idea for a mobile application that was going to help people retain and implement more from the books they were reading. 
we leveraged one of the guys in, in the group, Derek, we leveraged one of his partnerships. We outsourced the build of this mobile app. We bootstrapped it. We threw some cash at it, but it flopped. It never found product market fit. The relationship with the developer uh, fizzled out. But the one thing that didn't fizzle out mm. was our Instagram content. We thought, let's build some social media presence so that when this app comes out, we'll have an audience to sell it to. Right. Well, the app never really hit. We never even pushed the app to Instagram. But what did happen was that the Instagram started to take off. And this was before Bookstagram was really popular. There were no accounts that I was really looking up to and saying like, other than one or two, saying like, I really want to be like these people one day. So I really had to figure it out by myself. Right. And I would just post different types of content to see what worked really well. I started to follow some Gary Vaynerchuk social media strategies because he was one of the only people talking about it back in 2016. It seems like that's only five years ago, but it was a lot less popular five years ago. It was. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It seems a lifetime ago. It was. And, and so yeah, I started to experiment with different types of content and and people who are new to the book thinkers community and they see my face all over it. I mean, for the first six months, maybe even 12 months that the Instagram was active and my face was never there. It was only right. just pictures of books and it was an anonymous platform. So yeah, Instagram is, is really what took us to where we are today, which is funny. That's so crazy. And you know, it's funny you mentioned that whole thing with Gary Vee, because I remember my first time seeing Gary Vee and, and you probably have seen this clip, the uh, stop watching lost speech that he did years ago. And I want to say that speech, I don't know, I want to say it came out like 2009, let's say, right? Um, I get to college 2010, my freshman year. And I'm, it wasn't even like, oh, Gary Vee, new video. It was just like, look at this random guy at this conference. Yeah. And just to give like some context for people out there, like everybody knows Gary Vee today. But at that time, he was just some random guy at a tech conference giving some speech about stop watching Lost and all this stuff. And it was just like, <laughs> oh, okay. But there was something there that really stuck with me. I think it's kind of one of the reasons why I started on this journey of personal development. Um, but like you mentioned, you know, there really wasn't any of that there at that time. So one of the things that really comes up for me is, you know, as you're starting book thinkers, as you're starting getting, to gain traction, you know, I believe, and, and I'm sure you probably feel the same way, I, the leading authority when it comes to personal development uh, books on Instagram, would you agree? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, over, over 100 or close to 120,000 followers, probably over 120 when you include all the other outlets with the podcast and all these things. Um, how does that feel, you know, seeing that growth and, you know, sitting here today with all of this uh, happening? Yeah, on one side of the spectrum, it was totally unexpected. I didn't have many expectations around ever building a community or being the face of a brand. Yeah. But on the other hand, there has been a massive amount of work that has gone into building what exists today. So it's um, one of my favorite books is The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Small steps in the right direction over a long period of time will lead to disproportionate outcomes. Today is the disproportionate outcome. It feels like followers are coming from nowhere. Relationships and partnerships with these people I used to look up to are coming out of thin air, but that's not true. I mean, I right. sat every single day for over a year with less than a thousand followers posting on Instagram, doing the Gary V dollar 80 strategy, yeah. networking with people, reading books that nobody cared about, but I just wanted to get them out there. And uh, here we are as a result of that. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's amazing and it's a very humbling process. And I'm just grateful because I'm in a business where just like you are, where creating content is an educational process and it helps me retain and implement more information from the books I'm reading. So it's like, it's the best of all worlds for yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. It's, it's the same thing for me because as you're going along that track, just like you said, you're, you're learning, you're implementing. But what's interesting about it is that, you know, the path that we choose when it comes to personal development, reading, you know, uh, working with different individuals, creating these relationships is a path that most don't. And I think it really comes from, you know, whether it's a self-belief or maybe an environment that an individual grew up in. So for someone out there who's just starting out, before I switch gears here, uh, what would your piece of advice be when it comes to, let's say, building relationships and just getting started? 
With building relationships in general, I think for me, I came from a place where I had a lot of social anxiety. So mm. I needed to create a stronger foundation before I put myself out into the world. And so right. I had a door-to-door sales job for two years. I then had a phone sales job for a while. I took public speaking as a minor in college. I did Toastmasters. I really went from somebody who would actually excuse himself and go to the bathroom in class when it was my turn to read in those circles back in elementary school, (laughs) somebody who would fake sick on days that I had to make presentations to somebody who loves to speak. And now I've been in front of sometimes audiences of a couple hundred people for school projects and different things. So yeah, the, the foundation has really helped me. And then providing value. I always make sure that I understand who I'm communicating with. I do a bunch of research, a bunch of homework, the stuff that's not really sexy behind the scenes. And then I make sure that I'm offering value. I lead with value because when I first started on posting my stuff all over socials, yeah. there was um, this gentleman who he had a couple products that I wanted to try. And so I DM'd him one day, just randomly. It was actually on Snapchat of all things, I think. And I said like, Hey, uh, you know, if I'm ever in LA, I'd love to sit down and grab lunch with you. I have some ideas or something like that. And he just said, man, why in the world would I take time to sit with you? And he screenshotted it and put it up on his story and then gave this little speech. Like, why would I ever sit down with somebody who just randomly DMs me and asks for my time? Like my time is worth more than anything else to me. If you're not going to provide free value or at least value first, I'm not going to pay attention to you. And so again, that was a really good lesson for me to always lead with value, free value, offer value first, whether it's in the form of ideas or time or effort or whatever. And um, that's been really helpful for me. And so I'll give one last example there because I think it's a very important subject. Like when you're networking, for me, the podcast has been the best excuse in the world to talk to people. And you're wearing the 10X shirt. If I'm going to Grant Cardone, I'm not saying, hey, Grant, I want to help you spread your mission across the world. It's like, hey, Grant, I want to help you sell books and get your books in front of more sales professionals. Mm -hmm. That's why you should come on my podcast and give me 30 minutes of your time. But if I'm talking to somebody like Evan Carmichael, who's focused on service and purpose, I'm not trying to tell him, hey, I'm going to make you sell some books, man, or help you sell some books. It's like, I'd love to connect you with more entrepreneurs that you can help and right. you can connect with and you can help them define their purpose and passion and get over their pain. And so cater the message to your audience and then provide value. So that yeah. that's been my biggest thing. I love that. I love that. Uh, what, what you just noted there about understanding your audience, I think it's the biggest thing. And I think that's something you had to mention, you know, doing a little sales, uh, you know, which can be very, very difficult for a lot of people, you know, especially if you're someone who might be an introvert or, you know, you're just nervous overall. Um, but it does put you in that position where you have to think on your feet and you learn how to build the relationships and just learning how to talk to individuals overall, I think is a, a very spe- special skill set. And I talk about this with leadership a lot, you know, when, you, when you're working with a team or what I like to say, serving a team rather, because to me, it's all about service. You know, you got to understand who they are. One of my good friends, Ann Laguza, is the CEO of the Works Consulting out in California, always talks about spending those 15, 20 minutes because those 15, 20 minutes with the individual that you're talking to can drastically change the outcome of that relationship, the trajectory of how you guys grow together just because you spent the time listening to them understanding who they are. So under, understanding your audience is, I think, the biggest thing. And I love that you said that there. Um, so I want to kind of switch gears a little bit. When it comes to, you know, obviously, the brand is building, right? It's growing nonstop. It's been, it's been, you've been doing so many great things with it. Um, what What's your routine like now? You know, what what's, aside from working on the brand, what are some of the things that you go through throughout the day? I saw you post a reel uh, not that long ago. Um, what, what are some things there? Yeah, well, I love routines. And Ed Milet, who's an entrepreneur and author and speaker, he says, if you can control the beginning of your day and the end of your day, so he calls it bookending your day, then you have a much better chance of controlling what's in between. But if you wake up in the morning and you get lost in the whirlwind, you have no chance at recovering. Your day is gone. You don't even know what happened. You didn't get anything done. And that used to happen to me a lot. And so once I started to implement things like a morning routine, my life has totally changed. And I do follow the Savers morning routine from the Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. It's an amazing book. Savers stands for silence, affirmations, visualization, 
um, exercise, reading, and then scribing, which is journaling. So I do, those are six major components of my morning routine, but I go deeper than that. I've read a lot of books on biohacking and life optimization. And so I'm kind of wild. I wake up in the morning, I've got an alarm that requires me to scan a barcode in order to turn it off. And the barcode is in this office and the barcode that I have to scan is the back of the miracle morning. So yeah. now I'm up, I'm awake, I'm alert, I've completed an activity. You know, I do the normal stuff, brush my teeth, wash my face. I actually use these light emitting headphones okay. um, to get some light exposure and to help set my circadian rhythm in the morning. And I've got this other light over here that you could see, yeah. which represents daylight because I don't get outside in the morning, but I do try to set my circadian rhythm. Sleep is really important to me. Right. I then take this miracle morning cocktail drink that's from Own the Day, Own Your Life by Aubrey Marcus, which has Himalayan sea salt, which is full of electrolytes and minerals. It has uh, lemon water, which kicks off your digestive system and, okay. and just a bunch of water. Then I take a couple other supplements, like some morning supplements, some greens and things like that. And then I jump into that miracle morning routine, which includes a lot of, I mentioned the items in it, but I also focus a lot on gratitude every morning. So I read the daily stoic and I do the daily stoic journal, but then I focus on a gratitude journal and I spend a lot of time reflecting on what I'm about to do throughout the day and, and how I can define success. And I visualize it happening, but I also focus on what I'm grateful for. Yeah. And it's the simple of thing, simplest of things. Like today, I'm really grateful for this conversation and to make a new friend and the opportunity to share something that might help somebody in your audience. Yeah. So I focus a lot on gratitude and, and then I sort of round out with reading. And so I love waking up early now because I can accomplish a lot before the day gets kicked off. And it's kind of like my quiet space to read and relax and right uh, before the emails and computer and phone and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, before the day gets a little crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it's funny too, because. Sorry, not, I couldn't hear what you said. It's all good. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's funny because um, one of the, most important things I learned. I actually met Ed Milet out in uh, Columbus, Ohio at the uh, Summit of Greatness with Lewis House, which is an amazing event. But, you know, it's very important that we set these steps up for ourselves. So this way we have a better outcome throughout the day, just like you said, having that book ending, right? Uh, I think is a key factor to anyone's growth, whether you're building a business or you're just building relationships, whatever the case may be. So, you know, I, I love that you have that routine there. And I think it's important that you try different things too. I think it's yeah, like I try a lot. Yeah, yeah you got to try different things. Uh, you know, I'm always constantly looking at different ways, whether it's mobility, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, I'm always trying to do something different just to see what works, what doesn't. Right. It's almost like you're you're like a living science experiment. Right. You're just constantly working on yourself. So I love that. Um, I want to kind of go back a little bit more on, on your life, you know, before Book Thinkers. You know, what was it like growing up for you? I know we just touched base before this. Uh, you're from Easton, Mass. You know, I've been around Easton, Brockton, Boston a bunch of times. Um, you know, what was it like growing up for you? I had an amazing childhood. So although I was uh, a pretty quiet and socially anxious kid, mm -hmm. I was very comfortable around my friends and my family. I sort of grew up in a white picket fence family with amazing parents. I have three brothers. I was always growing up around dogs. I was and I was an outdoorsy kid a lot when I was younger. So like nature, Nick and, and stuff like that. Um, I played sports. So when I was in high school, I played football. I was a wide receiver. We got to play in Gillette Stadium my senior year on live TV in the Super Bowl, which was awesome. And I was also captain of the wrestling team. So oh, nice. we won our division in wrestling and and that sport um, helped me a lot as an individual leader. It also helped me gain a lot of confidence and security socially. And uh, yeah, so great childhood, a lot of focus on sports, not a lot of focus on school like you. Yeah. I never read. Uh, part of it was because I was so socially anxious and scarred by those school reading experiences. Yeah. <laughs> but also, you know, I loved experiential stuff like sports is a good example or hanging out outside or, you know, just playing with my friends, doing whatever. And, and I wasn't very good at the structured school stuff. Yeah. And then, yeah, moving in, moving into college. I had this idea of getting in business because growing up, my mom was always in retail management. So she would manage okay. retail stores of different types, groups of them. And then my dad was in footwear and apparel sales. So for the first 18 years of my life, 
he was with Adidas. And so I was always that kid who had too many pairs of Adidas sweats and I was always matching too well. And, uh, (laughs) and he was in sales. So I knew I wanted to be in the business world somewhere, but I didn't know where. And so I went to the university of New Hampshire, declared business, and then took an internship where I actually ran a house painting business for two years. So that's where I was doing door-to-door sales. It was Hey, my name's Nick. I'm trying to help pay for college. And so I'm running this house painting business. I'd love to give you a free estimate on what it would cost to take care of the paint that's chipping off the side of your house or do a power wash or restain your deck. And I hired some friends and ran that business. And all of those experiences were incredibly difficult and uncomfortable for me once I started to become more social or took on leadership roles. Uh, But man, I wouldn't change a thing. I mean, I had the best childhood. Yeah. You know, it's funny, too, because I think about those moments where uh, you, you have those uncomfortable experiences like door to door sales or whatever the case may be. You ever look back and think, like, how how did I do that? Or do you think for most people, because I think people think about it too much rather than taking the step. So was it for you just acting on it and then kind of looking back and like, wow, I can't believe I did these things? Or would you still today if you had to? take those same steps? All great questions. Uh, When I do think back to those moments and and I try to understand like what created the decision to take on that sales position, doing door-to-door sales for my own painting business or, you know, to step up and try a new sport or whatever. I always go back to this moment when I was in eighth grade and I had just started playing football and Uh, we got a new neighbor in my neighborhood and it was Mike Vrabel of the New England Patriots at the time. He was a linebacker on the team. And I started to socialize a little bit with his kids. When I saw them out in the neighborhood, he became really good friends with my dad. My dad would drive him to games and stuff like that. And as I was around this figure who I saw as larger than life, because at the time football was, I was so into the NFL and football. I viewed athletes as like, the best, you know, for me, that was like my favorite musician or my favorite artist. Like I loved athletes. And so to see Mike on the TV winning Super Bowls, uh, but then hanging out in the neighborhood or with my dad or being around him like that gave me a lot of confidence. It closed the gap between the average person and the people you see on TV for me. And I think I created a lot of anxiety in my life when I was younger, looking at the differences between people. And so that helped close the gap a little bit. And he, he gave me some advice about getting outside of my comfort zone. And I can't remember exactly what it was, but I do know that my college paper, when I was sending it college admissions papers, it yep. was titled my millionaire neighbor <laughs> or my millionaire mentor or something like that. It was about the relationship with Mike and just observing how he was a normal guy going to church on Sundays and sat two pews behind my family. And, you know, he was around and I met other NFL players at his house and, And that helped bridge the gap for me, I think, to become a little bit more confident, confident enough to start to take on leadership roles in sports and to start to um, break out of my comfort zone more intentionally than I was socially and things like that. And all of that has snowballed since you get a lot of momentum when you start to embrace discomfort. Yeah. But yeah, that that's um, it's a story that I don't really tell very often but people don't ask me that much about my past very often. So yeah, I'm happy that you brought it up and that I was able to voice that yeah, and kind of connect the dots in my head. Yeah, of course. You know, listen, sometimes it's about going back a little bit, right? Like I think about those moments when I first, like what really got me started? Of course, I, I tell the story of my mentor and you had a mentor. That's probably like the most significant thing that happened that's really stands out. But, you know, I think about these moments, like, like my drive, you know, my family came from Cuba uh, both sides of my family, they they met years down the road. But, you know, I think about like the stories of how like my dad's family was like kicked out of their home and like they were homeless and then they like escaped in the middle of the night and all this crazy stuff that you would hear. And like, you, what, what creates the drive? And it really stems from those earlier moments. So I always like to, you know, go back into that as well. I want to ask you something that just popped up into my head because we're both really big on self-education. We love personal development. We're always reading, we're always learning. Um, you know, I, you know, I went to college um, and I also have my master's that I that I got uh, not that long ago. But what's your view on college today? And do you feel like it should be restructured? Do you feel that maybe there should be an implementation of more personal development? You know, what are your what are your views on that? 
There's a spoken word video that I really liked uh, somewhere around the time that I was graduating by a spoken word artist named Suli Breaks. And I think it was called Why I Hate School But Love Education. And I feel that way about it. I was never a big fan of the traditional education system. Mm. I didn't succeed in it very well. There's that quote that's often attributed to Einstein about like, you shouldn't judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree or something like that. And (laughs) and I feel like that happens a lot to people. And so for me, I never resonated that much with my actual academic experience, but here I am an education advocate and somebody who spends a massive amount of my time percentage-wise studying other people and studying the tactics and routines and habits of billionaires and icons and changers of industry in the world. So yeah, I'm not a big fan of school, but I love education. And so when I look back at my personal college experience, I took on a lot of debt. Do I think it was worth it? I mean, I wouldn't change that experience because I took on these internships and I gained momentum in different ways. I developed as a speaker and I developed socially. And those were really important for me to get where I am today. But could I have done it without the education and the debt? Probably. So I don't know. I, I, I think college has a lot of value. I don't think the degree, you know, as we know, is, is worth as much as it used to be, but could it be restructured into something that I think served people more efficiently? Yeah, I do. So, yeah, I'm not somebody that ever says don't go to college, but um, I do think it could use a little bit of work to become more valuable for for how much it costs at least. hundred percent. I mean, look, you're, this is a a person, an individual who failed his high school proficiency exam, like Mm -hmm. reading. I thought, I think back to those times and I remember taking that to years ago as a kid and I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I did well, or I did okay enough to pass. And I went to go visit my mom in New Jersey. I'm in North Carolina now. I went to go visit my mom over the holidays and I found that same paper in the basement and I failed all three sections of reading, writing, and math. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I was like, okay, it was actually worse than I thought. I didn't even pass the exam. How I got into that school, I have no idea. But, you know, the point is I, I, I agree you know, I think there's definitely a lot of tweaking. I think we should have more of a focus, if not just some sort of implementation of personal development, because like, you know, that's like the biggest thing. It's very rare. And I guess maybe if you look at like history and stuff like that, but it's very rare that you study individuals like the Napoleon Hills of the world and the Jeff Bezos of the world. And look at all the things that Elon Musk is doing. all these amazing individuals, uh, Robert Kiyosaki, who not only have created something that have impacted millions of people, but they're actually creating an impact and changing the world, right? Through their writing and their services. So I definitely agree. I think there should be some sort of implementation. If not, it definitely needs some tweaking for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, you just mentioned Robert Kiyosaki and, and the subtitle of Rich Dad, Poor Dad is something like what the rich, what the rich teach their kids that the poor and middle class do not. Right. And it's financial literacy. And it blew my mind that throughout my whole middle school, high school and college experience, college experience as a business major that I never studied financial literacy, that I came out of school with a misunderstanding of what an asset was and what a liability Mm. was that I came out of school, a college educated person, not understanding cash flow in the simplest of things, investing, nobody ever talked about it. And you read one book that's 200 pages in very simple language, this fictional story about a couple of kids and a couple of parents and all of a sudden your whole life changes. And it's like, you know what, we're all forced to play the game of money. So why, why aren't we taught how to play that game before we come out of school? And it seems like, you know, history is important, right? In some respects, but why am I learning about those things and not about what I'm about to face when I come out of school and the college debt that I'm assuming and all of that. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that it could use some (laughs) tweaks in that direction. And listen, there are pillars of personal development that I think are underrepresented, even in the industry, especially school. Like for me, travel has Mm. been one of the biggest Mm. um, areas of of discomfort and growth. And I wish somebody would have told me that. Like, yeah, you hear about foreign exchange programs and stuff like that, but it's not that common. And and I'd love to learn more about that kind of stuff in school. And yeah, Yeah. every area of personal development. (laughs) Do you think your love for travel 
today comes from being that adventurous kid when you were growing up and, and kind of being that type of personality? It might. That's a great question. I was, I was so socially anxious as a kid from what I remember, at least that I'm not sure I would have been able to function uh, efficiently without the momentum that I gained, like throughout later high school and college, embracing discomfort and like yeah. spending time thinking about what it means to to approach situations that I'm scared of and run towards fear and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, that's good. It's a good question, probably in some respects. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, also too, like I think about this now and uh, you, you might've spoken with him. I know you at least connected with him, Clint Pulver, who just released the book. I love it here. I interviewed him on, on the show as well uh, before the book released. And a lot, I was kind of the same way, right? Like as a kid growing up, you know, I was always very quiet. I was shy. I was anxious. I, you know, I, I never really saw myself like that. But my mom used to always say, you got to expand your horizons. And, you know, as a kid, you're just like, ah, whatever. Like, you know, it's just your mom, right? And then I remember we went to Costa Rica for a month. And that was just like the craziest experience. And, and that was, what, 12 years old? What's crazy about it is I interviewed Clint. And he said that association matters people find purpose in other purposeful people. And so I feel the same way with, you know, not just the relationships that you build, but like the environments that you're in as you're growing older, whether it was meeting a mentor, whether it was a book or whatever environment you put yourself in, you start to find purpose in that environment or the people that are there. So I think that's always a, a unique connection. Um, let's jump into a little bit of, you know, maybe some of the stuff that you're reading. I, I definitely want to dive into philosophy a little bit. Um, because this is another thing that we were very relatable on. I know you got Memento Mori tattooed on you, um, right? Like awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, Marcus Aurelius is one of my favorite teachers and, and Seneca. Um, how did you get into philosophy? Was it just through the books? Did somebody introduce it to you and, and kind of how has it impacted you? Well, first, Clint Pulver loved his book. I, I found the first couple pages to be like, Phew. right. You know, I didn't realize a business <laughs> model like this could exist. How cool is that? Yeah. Uh, but on the stoic philosophy piece, I was originally introduced to it from that same friend that I was reading Think and Grow Rich with, but years and years and years later. So he gifted me a copy of The Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday. Mm. And it was his original intention for both of us to read the book and then have a brief call every day about the lesson uh, or the day's lesson in that book. Um, we never ended up doing it, but I ended up finding the book again and I started to read it. Right. And it blew my mind. Um, it, it came to me at the perfect time. It's a very simple book, 366 Meditations on Wisdom, Perseverance in the Art of Living, I think is the subtitle. And yeah, you're introduced to these amazing Stoic philosophers. As you mentioned, Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, Epictetus. Yep. You read one paragraph from one of their works of literature and Ryan and Stephen uh, expand on it. Yeah, and so every yeah. day I started to read this book and I resonated with it so much. And over time, I started to develop... Um, sort of an actionable bias. You know, I would read and I would action. I would read and I would action. It's such an actionable philosophy. Yeah. And then I discovered Ryan's other books. So I read other books by Ryan, Ego is the Enemy, Obstacle is the Way, Stillness is the Key, Now Lives of the Stoics. Yep. He just put out a book about Marcus Aurelius, the philosopher king or something. I forget yep. what the title of that one is. And I've interviewed Ryan on the podcast too. He was yes. a really fun interview. Yeah, how was and that? So, oh, it was an amazing experience. We had some audio issues. So if anybody goes back and listens <laughs> to it, you'll hear some crazy noises from Ryan's headphones while he's talking. But uh, yeah, it was really cool because he's had such a massive impact on my life. So that little book that was gifted to me with a note inside the cover, like, hey, let's read this every day, turned into a really big moment in my life. And That's yeah, great. I love Stoic philosophy. And now I've read a couple other books like On the Shortness of Life, Seneca. I have read Meditations by Marcus and uh, fascinated by the philosophy. So I got two questions for you just based off of that. Um, well, one, have you read uh, anything from Will and Ariel Durant? Yes, okay. I have a couple books, but years and years ago, Yeah, like um, the greatest minds or something like that yep. is one of them. Yeah, yeah. 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 Fallen leaves, I think is another one or something like that. But yeah, I have. Yeah, they have a ton. I that was the first 
the first author, Will Durant, that got me into philosophy in a way through a book that he has called Lessons of History. Yeah, I've read it. Which is, you know, short book, nothing crazy, like 130 pages, but super impactful. And here's the crazy thing about it. Why I love leadership development so much and why it goes hand in hand with personal development is a lot of what we learn today really stems back from like centuries ago. You know this from reading meditations and stuff from Epictetus and Seneca. There's so many things from their teachings that you read and you're like, oh, this this exists today. There's like, people are doing this now, right? Yeah. Or the flip side, this is what's missing, you know? So I think it's really important that we go back. That's why, I mean, I don't know if I would consider myself a history buff. I kind of am, I guess. But I think the biggest thing is human nature, right? It's, it's the biggest thing. Um, going to Stoic philosophy... Um, you know, we talk about Marcus Aurelius and Seneca and all these great philosophers. What's your relationship with time and death? And and like, how do you look at that as from an overall point of view? So I, I spent a lot of time thinking about time and death on the bookshelves behind me. I think I have seven or eight different hourglasses. I have an hourglass tattoo on my leg. I have the memento mori tattoo, which is yep. remember your own mortality, remember death. And I also have a poster over here on this wall that says my life in weeks. And it's 88 years worth of little dots, 52 horizontally. And I fill out one every week. So I spend a lot of time thinking about death because what it does for me, I think the biggest thing, what it does for me is it helps me prioritize my time. I spend a lot of time thinking about the fact that we have limited time and it helps me prioritize my time. So when I'm faced with the decision, watch Netflix or get a little bit more work done or watch Netflix or read a book or watch Netflix or hang out with my friends and family, mm. I spend time thinking about the fact that it's limited. Mm. Now that we're on the subject, one of my friends, his, uh, one of his grandparents just passed away the other day and we were having a conversation about something that Jesse Itzler said which is that let's just say you have 10 years left with your parents, but you only right. see them twice a year because you commute to visit them. Right. That's really only 20 times that you have left to see your parents. It's not 10 years. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time thinking about that and applying it to the different areas of my life. And like Seneca in his book, The Shortness of Life, or it's really an essay, right. he talks about the fact that all of us have plenty of time on this earth. But a lot of us choose to waste that time and therefore it doesn't feel like enough time to get things done, to develop great relationships, to make a real impact. Yeah. And so, yeah, anyway, death helps me really prioritize. I also had Robert Greene on, on our podcast, who wrote The 48 Laws of Power and also The Laws of Human Nature and a few other books in between. And we talked about death and he said, listen, you go back 100 years and death was a part of everybody's weekly life. Like, it was very rare that you could go weeks at a time or months at a time without actually seeing a dead body, whether it was mm. in the streets or in somebody's home. <laughs> like nowadays, death is cornered off in hospitals and it's excluded from reality. Right. And so it creates this artificial sense of like what death really is for us because we don't see it or experience it so often. And so, yeah, I try to I try to think about it a lot, I guess. Yeah, that's amazing. I never, first of all, big shout out a couple people, Robert Greene, who's an amazing author, one of my favorite authors of all time. Big shout out to Jesse Itzler, who is one of my favorite. I've learned so much from him and I also got the chance to meet him as well a little while back and he's amazing. Um, and you had mentioned the poster, 4K Weeks, mm -hmm. which I love. Uh, I brought the poster, I have it right here right in front of me in my office and, and it really does prioritize you know, everything that you're doing on a daily basis. When you see that, not that it's a downer, because I think a lot of people, again, just the way that we see things today, people look at it as a bad thing, but I think it really puts into place your relationship with time. And mm -hmm. that's the most important thing is what am I doing each day? And so very much like yourself, I'm always looking at, okay, I could work on this project or I can work on this podcast or I could work on this, or I can be watching HBO or Netflix. And it's just like, no, I got to walk. I got to work on my stuff first, you know, like, you know, and then you'll find yourself in that state of flow and you might experience this now where you're just, you're working, but because we love what we do, building and teaching and helping others, I think really puts you in that state of flow. And it's really just aligning yourself with the work that you love. Yeah. Right? That's, that's the biggest thing. Do you find, do you ever find yourself, uh, in moments, and I think this will be helpful for people who are kind of in that process, 
do you find yourself in moments where you don't feel up to certain tasks for today? And if you do, like, how do you work your way around it? Or how do you reset yourself to get yourself back in that mindset of, of constantly flowing? Well, a few different approaches to your answer. So, or to your question, I certainly, uh, I certainly have excuses that pop up in my mind that, that cause me to procrastinate sometimes. I love Brian Tracy's eat that frog philosophy, which is imagine every morning you had to wake up and eat a frog yeah. every day. Would you go through your day just dreading that moment and you have to do it before you go to sleep? Or would you just eat it first thing in the morning and get it out of the way so you can enjoy your day? And, and that's how I approach my thoughts around procrastination. We had Brian on the podcast because he just wrote an updated version of that book for students specifically. So if you're finding yourself procrastinating a lot, that's a really good resource for people. Right. And yeah, so I view my day. I have a task list that I review before I go to sleep and I make sure it's updated with anything that carries over day to day. Right. And I review it first after my morning routine in the morning, but first thing before I actually start my work day. And I try to eat the frog so that I get that hairy, nasty thing out of the way first thing. Um, whenever I lose momentum, I focus a lot on gratitude and small wins. So I don't try to change the world every single day, but I try to make progress. And for me, after a lot of reflection and reading a bunch of different books, I've sort of identified my my shortcut to fulfillment and it's progress if i can make progress any kind of small win throughout my day in my health or my wealth or my communication with friends and family or i can help other people make progress in their health or wealth or communication then i feel a sense of fulfillment and rather than dreading on what i didn't do i always focus on what i did do and i celebrate those small wins as if they're the biggest thing that's ever happened in my life and that forces me to stay in this mode of gratitude very last thing i want to mention mm. is that back to jesse itzler in living with a seal he talks about going out to finish a run and he has two options his legs kind of bought i'm now i'm kind of paraphrasing and, and making it up a little bit because i don't remember exactly how the story goes but he says like my ankles bothering me or my back's bothering me and I'm three fourths of the way done with my run. Do I finish it or do I stop? Because I know it's going to hurt tomorrow. And then he thinks, okay, if I look at this from tomorrow's perspective, what would be more fulfilling if I gave up on my run or if I finished it, mm. you know what, tomorrow I'll probably be happier and more fulfilled if I finish the run today. And that's a great way to filter your decision-making. Do I stop my work today and watch Netflix or do I finish that task, even though it's annoying me and kind of hard to complete? Well, what would make me more fulfilled tomorrow? Probably if I finished the task, yeah. not if I watched another episode of whatever show you're watching. So that's a, that's another way to answer that too. I love that. I love that. And you know, it's, it's, I think a big part of how you start getting into that state of flow or momentum is by doing the things, even like early on, again, you started out doing door-to-door -door sales and, you know, running that business and all these things may have not been the thing that you wanted to do, however, was necessary to your growth. And then eventually, you know, as things started to build up, got you to meet the right people, you know, build this brand, do all these amazing things where you can find yourself consistently in that state of flow where you're loving what you're doing and doing the things that really align with you and, and you as a human being. Absolutely. Versus, you know what I'm saying like, instead of, waking up and like, oh my God, I can't believe I got to do this thing today, right? Which a lot of people do, a lot of people do, but it's, if we can, again, eat that frog and just do that more often, then we can get closer to that sense of alignment. Yeah, and and I love, I, who said this? Brian Scudamore, the founder of 1-800-GOT-JUNK said this in his book, uh, Willing to Fail. He said that passion comes from consistency. So if you consistently complete actions over time, you'll develop passion. You don't have to have this pre-existing why that aligns perfectly with the job that you take. That's not realistic for most people. But yeah. if you can commit to something over time, you will develop passion for it. So again, passion comes from consistency, not the other way around. That's right. been really big for me. Like I, I didn't always love reading books, but I knew that I was better for doing it. And over mm. time, the willpower that it took to pick up the book and open it up and read a couple pages decreased, decreased, decreased until it actually became a fulfilling activity that I wanted to do. Right. And 
people get that backwards a lot because of the start with why culture, which that's a great book and it has a lot of value in it, but I think it's interpreted the wrong way sometimes. Right. No, I totally agree. I mean, again, just using reading as a small example sometimes, and still to this day, mind you, I have a ton of books that I've read. I love, love, love reading, but sometimes uh, I heard this term recently about the breathability of a book and how sometimes you see a book and you know you'll see somebody flip through the pages because they're checking like how do i feel if i read this book right um i just got done reading green lights by matthew mcconaughey amazing book amazing amazing book crazy storytelling i mean just very i I love reading it i'm picturing myself there and like literally watching like a fly on a wall and then i got a book by uh, about winston churchill i think it's called leading with destiny or something like that and that's like a thousand pages, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I and so I see it. And I'm like, wow, this book's amazing. And then you then you gotta actually read it, and you're like, okay, uh, let's see how we get into it, you know. But you know, the thing yeah. is, I know I'll be better for it because I'm gonna learn things from it, not just from a leadership development point of view, but you know, all the life lessons and all the things that he went through at that time. I got one big question for you, and we're coming up on the last couple minutes here. Um, first off do you ever, or would you ever want to write your own book one day? Yep. I just committed uh, to writing my first book. So it'll be a year and a half in the making, I think, but uh, I'd like to write an introduction to personal development. And I haven't figured out the hook of the book yet, but I'll tell you the most common question that I get at book thinkers is, Hey, I'm brand new to this space. What's the first book I should read? And it's a very difficult question to answer because I think that moment in time is very unique for everybody. They've just discovered their unfulfilled potential, but it might be related to finances. And so maybe Rich Dad, Poor Dad is a good introduction, or it might be related to purpose. And so a book like Built to Serve or Start With Why might be a good book for them. It might have to do with some obscure random thing. It might have to do with loneliness, or it might have to do with whatever, career progression. And so it, it's been tough for me to answer that question. So yeah, I, I want to write an introduction to personal development and behavior change and also give people the tools that I wish I had when I first started my journey, right. such as like effective note-taking and how to read these books, how to implement the information, how to manage friends and family and the objections you're going to get about this industry from people right. that aren't in it. So a lot of those things, and, and I haven't figured out this structure yet, but um, yeah, maybe 18 months from now, you'll see my first book. That would be awesome. Well, I'll, I'll definitely have to pick that up because, uh, so I, it's funny, I actually just got done writing a book, um, oh, wow. an introduction to leadership development. I love so, it. so, you know, it's funny because <laughs> similar to that, you know, I would always get these questions about, you know, well, what are some of the actionable steps or some of the things that help a great leader become a great leader? right? I mean, there's all these other books, there's charts, there's graphs, there's all these things. And I might read that, but I know someone like myself back in the day is not going to pick up that exactly. book. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and, not, and I mean, even something, let's say like Think and Grow Rich, right? Which is where I started, but there's some people that won't even start there. So I think about some of the books that really inspired me, like when I first started learning about leadership development, I said, well, if I can do something that gives someone a opportunity to like get an introduction that would be it so it's kind of reason why i went down that path and that'll be out probably next month for like toward by june or so so amazing man congratulations yeah. that's Thank huge you, and i appreciate that people ask me for leadership book recommendations all the time but but the same problem and you're solving that problem the same problem occurs for me because there are so many great leadership books and you take something like a good to great. Well, that's not relevant to nine out of 10 people on this planet. It's only right. relevant to people who might be in a larger corporate setting. Exactly. And so most of the book, uh, you know, if somebody's getting into this space for the first time and they want to learn about leadership for everybody that loves that book, there's nine people that didn't. Exactly. And uh, yeah. So anyway, I think you're solving a, a cool problem and, and I'll definitely be recommending it. I'm excited oh, to read you. it. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, like I said, I believe leadership and personal development go hand in hand. And it's more than just business and, you know, money and all these things, which are are important. But I think leadership, for me, I believe everyone's born to be a leader. So it's just implementing basic principles that you can take, whether you're a student, whether you're just starting out in your career, or maybe you're 30, 40 years in the game, and you want a set of principles that you can kind of go back to. You know, it's really just creating that basic format. So I'm excited for it as well. Uh, last two questions for you. 
first, what does leadership mean to you? And then uh, I'll follow up with the second one. I also love the idea that leadership is service. So mm. to me, leadership means service. And as individuals, I think we have a responsibility, especially if we're leading other people to develop ourselves as much as possible. Right. Emotional intelligence, our understanding of the world. I think uh, all of those things are really important so that we can be our best selves and serve other people most efficiently. So that's what leadership means to me. I love it. I love it. And then the last thing I have for you is we're coming towards the end of our life, right? We're getting ready to leave this earth. And someone asked, what is Nick's legacy? What would that be? Right now, I'm really focused on helping other people make progress. So I believe the right book at the right time can change anybody's life. If you're in a tough spot, there's a book out there that can solve your problem mm. and get you set in the right direction. And so I'll continue to, to help this industry grow and thrive and connect people to it. I'll continue to try to match make people with the right books that can help change their lives and make a positive impact. If, if I didn't read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that first book, I probably wouldn't be sitting here on this interview. And, and I want to make sure that people don't miss out on those opportunities. This industry gets a bad rap sometimes. Get rich quick and all of that's, you know, law of attraction, woo woo stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of amazing stuff in this industry, as you know. And yeah, I want to help solve that problem a little bit and, and introduce more people to this world. At least right now in my 20s, that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. And I first off, uh, I want to say thank you for joining me on the show. I think if there's anyone who uh, is truly aligned with that mission, uh, I, you're definitely the person to do that because uh, just like you said, I, I do believe that the industry gets a bad rap sometimes, but there's so many amazing things that are actionable, that are helpful, that I think cuts through the noise. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's through our work and our content, all the things that we do that allows others to kind of see that path. So I think that's uh, definitely uh, something just truly amazing. I have to uh, commend you for that because uh, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm the same way. So let me, uh, uh, let me ask you that same question. How would you yeah. answer it? For me, when I think about my legacy, uh, you know, it, when it gets to that point, I wanted them to look back and say, you know, DJ was an individual that did all that he could do, saw all that he saw, and did it for the sake of helping others and serving others. Um, you know, for me, very much similar to yourself, you know, I love serving people. I love, I love the look that someone gets when it clicks. You know, when I mention a book and they read it and they, DJ, I just read the first chapter. This is amazing. Thank you so much. Like that, right? That's what drives me. I love that feeling of being able to help someone down the path that really didn't know where to go or who to go to. And I know it was only through my experiences, through my research and, you know, the time really, because there is a, there's a portion of it where you're sacrificing your time, but it's because we love what we do that allows us to let others stand on our shoulders, right? And, and helps them move forward. So, you know, building a brand and doing all these things is, is truly amazing. But for me, when I think about my legacy, it's all about what am I doing to provide value in other people's lives? And, uh, and if I'm remembered for anything, it's doing exactly that. So that's, that's, that's exactly where I would wanna be and what I think about now as I'm on that path, on that journey, so. Well, we're, we're both as, on a similar path, as you mentioned, and uh, I'm excited to go along this journey with you because I'm sure we'll be seeing each other and For networking sure. with a lot of the same people over the next <laughs> 10, 20 years. It's, it's a long journey. It is. It's a lifelong journey. I tell everybody the same thing. And, you know, that's the beautiful thing about it. And I'll leave this analogy here for you. This is one that I use all the time when I talk about building relationships. Every single time that you build a relationship with an individual, it's almost like two trains leaving a train station. You know, you got one train going to, let's say, Vermont and the other train going to California. At some point, those two trains have to go their separate ways. If you take the train from Cali and put it on a track to Vermont, it's going to be a mix up. It's going to be late. It's going to, all these things are going to happen. What happens is that most people end up justifying the path that they were rerouted to rather than going on the path that they were meant for. Right. And so we end up in Vermont and we're like, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, the winters aren't that bad. Right. And we justify and we go along with it. But really, we were supposed to go the longer direction. We were supposed to go to Cali. We were supposed to go down that path that although it might be a little bit longer, although there might be obstacles and things like that, 
It's the journey and the people that you meet along the way. Going back to what Clint Pulver said, people find purpose in other purposeful people. So although it might be a longer journey, right? Although it's a lifelong journey, it's a journey filled with moments, experiences, bliss, you know, the beautiful relationships, the people. And that is, that's what makes it fun. That's what I makes agree. it exciting, you know? So that's what really drives me. I'm really excited. I'm looking forward to us connecting again. Um, if there's anywhere that uh, people can connect with you, obviously we have the Book Thinkers Instagram. Uh, where would you like for other people to uh, connect with you from there? That's really the best place. And then the okay. link in our Instagram bio, you can find links to our podcast and our website and some of the other things that we have going on. If you're interested in learning more about our podcast with some of the great guests that were mentioned today, just search Book Thinkers on any podcast platform and you'll find us there too. Awesome. Well, you heard it from the man himself, Nick Hutchison, founder of Book Thinkers. Make sure you check him out on Instagram at Book Thinkers. Nick, thank you again. I really appreciate it. It's amazing and uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Yeah, thanks, DJ. The weekly leadership podcast is a great place to chat. So I'm happy that I was here. Thank you, my friend. I uh, appreciate you guys listening in. Make sure you stay tuned for the following episode. And uh, we're going to have some great stuff on the way. So we'll see you very soon. It's your boy, DJ. And take care.